Let us pray together. Dear God, you are the one in whom we live and move and have our being. And we gather here Sunday after Sunday not so much to hear something new and amazing that we've never heard before, but instead to be reminded and to remember the things that are at the heart of our faith that we may have forgotten or neglected. So this morning we invite your Holy Spirit to come and remind us and revive us again. We pray this through Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Amen. So here we are at the end of our church year, a church year that we follow with Christians around the world. That right away tells you that the calendar that we follow in the church is a little bit different than the one that we follow in all the other places in our lives. That goes from January to December. And the world outside is reminding us that Janu- or December is coming. This year, or these two Sundays, we're also going to be shifting from the Gospel of Luke today. This will be our last Sunday in Luke And next Sunday, when Advent begins, we're going to be moving to Matthew. This is a great gift to the church, that each of these four Gospels helps us to see special and unique things about Jesus. Next year in Matthew, of course, we're going to hear the Sermon on the Mount. No Matthew, no Sermon on the Mount. Think about that. And this year, we have one last chance today to hear some of the special things that Luke tells us about Jesus. One of them, of course, is his helping us to see the special place and role of women in the ministry of Jesus. We see this in Luke 8. Women were, many women were Jesus' primary benefactors, indeed. And of course, there's one other emphasis that you know is so dear to my heart, and we've got to talk about it and look at it one more time. And that's that Luke helps us to see, more than any other gospel, how Jesus' life is infused and grounded in prayer. In fact, seven different times, seven different times, We find Jesus in the Gospel of Luke turning off his phone. You can't pray if your phone is on. Uh, That's personal experience. (laughs) Leaving the crowds and stealing away to be quiet and to commune with God. And the prayer I believe that Jesus is infused in is not the jabbering kind but the listening kind, the receptive kind. Be still and know that I am God. 
We heard today in Psalm 46 our call to worship. Be still, folks, be still. A psalm that Jesus surely often prayed. Through his regular times of stillness with God, we see Jesus connecting with the eternal flow of love within the life of God. And as we heard so very mysteriously in Psalm 46 today, there is a river. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. And I say mysteriously, we talked about this earlier this year, because the psalmist is talking about Jerusalem, and friends, there is no river in Jerusalem. The psalmist is telling us that amidst the world's tumult, its unhinged turmoil, Waters rising, nations raging, empires falling, wars erupting. Sound familiar? God's river of mercy, invisible but oh so real, is flowing to sustain the children of God. And through our Lord's times of stillness with God, we see Him connecting and reconnecting with this river, immersing Himself in its lavish free flow of grace and mercy so that it might flow through Him to everyone around Him. And Jesus is modeling for us, folks. What the Bible tries to tell us in a hundred, maybe a thousand different ways. Making our home in God. Abiding in the vine. Drawing from the well. Making clear that apart from this sustaining connection with God, we can do nothing. Nada. And our lives without this connection will never be a blessing to anyone around us. There is a river. Dear brothers and sisters of God, sustaining grace and mercy, are you and I drinking from it? And then in Luke 23 today, we travel with Jesus all the way to the place of the skull, where he is crucified with two criminals. At our Mennonite convention in Kansas City this past summer, Tom Yoder Neufeld preached about what he called are the two sides of the cross. Our side and God's side. 
The first side, he said, is our human and tragic no to God. And we see this no to to God today as Jesus, full of truth and grace, is mocked and stripped and tortured and left to die a horrendous death. And we see everyone in the world having a hand in it. The Roman Empire soldiers, yes. Religious priests and pastors, thieves and zealots, and Jesus' own fleeing disciples. Hanging there, Jesus seems to be completely crushed by evil and extinguished by the powers of death. But astonishingly, as darkness falls over Jerusalem, what do we see Jesus doing one last time? Praying. He's connecting himself to God's river of mercy and letting God's free flow of reconciling reconciling love flow through him to the world. Abba, he says... Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And who are the they here? His Roman crucifiers, religious leaders, the two thieves beside beside him, the disciples, and you and me. So on the cross, Tom says, we see humanity's tragic no, and then God responding with an even more resounding and reconciling yes. As Julian of Norwich, the Christian mystic, wrote back in the 15th century, the worst has already happened and been repaired. Those, by the way, are the first words in the English language that we have from any woman. The worst has already happened and been repaired. There is a river. From the cross of Jesus, we see something entirely new flowing now into history. Not revenge, but forgiveness. Not rage, but compassion. Not wrath, but reconciling love. Here is Jesus imaging for us the invisible God. This is what God is like. This is who God really is. This is how much God loves us. On Calvary, here is our servant king subverting every form of power and worldly kingship. I mean, look at that image on your bulletin cover. Is there a more subversive image? There is Christ, our king. Reigning with a crown of thorns, wearing a robe of mockery, 
with an emblem proclaiming His kingship from the top of a cross. Not demanding from the world a quid pro quo. But proclaiming a universal amnesty for all. And reconciling all people, all people to God. You know, for most of my ministry, dear friends, I've tried to preach about and to explain the cross as if it were some kind of complicated mathematical equation. That's pretty scary since I was always terrible at math. But more and more, I'm just feeling drawn to all of us, for all of us, to invite all of us simply to fall in love with the God that Jesus reveals to us on the cross. Just fall in love. To hear God saying to us, be still and know that I am love. As we'll be singing in a little bit, here we see a love so amazing, so divine. It demands our soul, our life, are all. Every year, our uh, pastoral team chooses a new verse to give direction to the life and the mission of our congregation in the year ahead. And recently, Miriam and Don and I got together and spent some time reflecting on all that the coming year will hold, or at least will probably hold. For our nation, oh boy, 2020 will likely be a year filled with more political polarization, an impeachment trial, and a fiercely contested election. Wouldn't we all like to just hit fast forward? And for our church, 2020 will be a year where we'll be continuing to rebuild trust. To seek deeper healing. And to do some important work together about who we are, how we're organized, and how to give crucial feedback to our pastors. So with all of this on our plate, the three of us pondered, what do we need as a congregation? Do we really need another verse that tells us all to work harder and to do even more? We didn't think so. Anybody want to say amen? Instead, we felt the need for a verse that invites us to return to God, to be sustained by God's river of love like never before, for 2020 to be our year of living prayerfully, 
contemplatively, connectedly. And so for 2020, we've chosen Isaiah 30, verse 15. In returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and trust shall be your strength. In returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and trust shall be your strength. Though this verse calls us to quietness, it's not at all calling us to passivity or inactivity. Far from it. The work of our church will continue. But we want all of our doing to be grounded in a deeper connection with God. For the lavish free flow of God's mercy to permeate all that we do and how we do it. For all the little things that we do here at East Chestnut Street to be done with great love. So I invite you this morning to turn to that candle image in your bulletin, if you want to open to that. This Advent, we are being invited again to take up a very simple practice. To light a candle every day, Maybe in the morning, maybe at night, maybe at a meal. And then to hear God saying to us in returning to me and resting in me, you shall be saved. In quietness and trust, you shall shall be your strength. This Advent, before we get overwhelmed by the Christmas rush, we still have time to set our intention to return and to rest in God. Because, friends, there is a river, invisible but oh so real, that sustains the people of God. Amen.